Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today is Thursday, October 22nd, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 379 featuring Celtics radio voice Sean Grandy is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today for your free sign-up bonus. All right, everybody, welcome into another off-season edition of Celtics Beat. And I wish I could tell you exactly how long the off-season was going to last. Maybe it'll be Christmas. Maybe it's MLK Day. This could go on for a little while. Whatever the case, we got plenty to fill you in on information-wise and rumors and rumblings and all that good stuff. So let's do it. Adam Kaufman with Sean Grandy. Long time, I always like to tell him that. Long time voice of the Celtics on the radio. And, of course, Evan Valenti, our producer. Sean, how are you, buddy? I, you know, every time I just, my heart springs when I hear long time voice, because I know, <laughs> I know what it means. I know what all of you are saying. I, I know what it's all about. Oh yeah. I used to listen to you when I was in high school or when I was in, I get it. It's all coach for <laughs> the same thing. I understand. Well, speaking of you being around for a long time, you've been around just a, a tidbit longer than of course the head coach of this team, Brad Stevens, good friend of yours, who today, as I'm sure you know, it's his birthday. 44 years young, still looks almost as young as he did when he got the job way back when he was, I think, toward the end of year 36 of his uh, rotations on the uh, on the earth here, rotations around the sun. What uh, I mean, what do you get Brad Stevens for his birthday? What did you get Brad Stevens? Well, last night he, he didn't need any kind of gift because last mm-hmm. night he did a fundraiser with Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. yeah. Last night. <laughs> I think I said something like I was disappointed they didn't ask me to write the jokes for that. Like, <laughs> The two guys you need a strobe light to make it look like they're moving. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I'm watching the two of them. I was shocked that they're that, that they actually agreed to do this, this thing together, just because you know, I've never seen both in the same place at the same time. So you can't say that they're they're, they're not the same person. It, well, remember la- last Halloween, right? He yeah, uh, yeah. And he, yeah, he dressed as, as Pete Buttigieg and gave out and gave out candy. That's amazing. Yeah. Vice versa, too. Pete went as Brad, you know, just threw on a Celtics hat, basically. I mean, so you you can't really dress up when you're uh, the two of them. But, I mean, can you believe it's it's been this long already? He's getting ready for his eighth season in Boston. In some ways, it sort of feels like he just got here. In other ways, especially when you look at Doc's tenure in L.A., and now that he's off to Philadelphia, it feels like an eternity. And he's, what, third or fourth now on the uh, on the list, like the longest tenured coaches now. And right. he, he was in that – he was in the top ten – very quickly 
Like it, it took like two years for Brad to be in the top 10 among the tenured coaches in the league. And it's really one of the things about the Celtics that's pretty extraordinary right now is you got Rick Carlisle in Dallas and Greg Popovich, obviously in San Antonio, but the Celtics have had two head coaches now in 16 years. And obviously Brad's going to go into the 17th year. Now you're going to have two head coaches. And that's because I think the Knicks have had about 40 during those, uh, <laughs> during those 17 years. And that's really an amazing thing that, you know, again, one of the, really the highlights of an organization, which, as you know, we'll probably get to this point where I was beginning for the first time to lose some of my patience with the vocal minority among the fan base that were, you know, so unhappy with the way this year ended. And the, the things are just not – again, I've been – Max and I specifically – because Tommy and Mike have always been on the other side. We've been gotten some heat over the years for not being Homer enough and whatever, but it's the first time I really feel like I've been pushed to the other side of that equation because I just couldn't fathom how coming off that train wreck that 2019 was that the orange vanilla Coke season of 2019, that the Celtics being the third best team in the entire league was somehow not good enough for anybody, let alone the five or 10% of, fans that made noise about it yeah we had debates about that on this show about how much blame gets thrown around because everybody wants to play the blame game as soon as the season's over and you know I always like you know since I started listening to Michael Lombardi I've, I've started to sort of evaluate things differently when it comes to evaluating team performance and when you really step back and you look at all like it's not just a or b or c it's a combination of everything but the one thing I had a hard time with Sean was coming to the point where like, is this really Brad's fault? Like, people are like, oh, he's not adjusting for things. And I'm like, how do you know he's not making adjustments? You know, he's not the guy in the court turning the ball over 19 times in a game. He's not the guy missing shots. He puts his guys in situations that he thinks that they can execute, and they don't execute. That's their problem, not really Brad's. You know, it's just, I had a hard time understanding where people came from in terms of it's just, this is primarily Brad's fault. And I'm like, how is – how do you analyze that? How do you go to that conclusion? Because I could easily make the conclusion of he's not out there missing shots. He didn't put this roster together either. This is Danny trying to put guys together and give Brad a team he thinks that Brad can handle. It's not, you know, Brad's fault that, you know, maybe they're missing a veteran here that they need or a backup point guard here. That they need. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with guys on the court ultimately performing. And those guys didn't perform as well as Miami did. And, and give Miami a lot of credit because they, you know, they overcame a whole lot to get where they were. So in the whole pantheon of blame, I, like you, Sean, found it hard to just solely blame Brad Stevens for all the Celtics problems this, this season. Well, here's what happened, right? Like the among the many problems you have, you have to have a strong opinion these days. So you don't get on a talk show, can't you know? It's not it's not a tweet that's going to get a lot of likes. You're not going to get on CNN or Fox if you somehow take the middle road and call things the way you actually see them. Which is, it's very you could the fact that it was a disappointing end to the season, and the fact that it was an extraordinary year for the Celtics of overachievement or whatever. Those two things are both. You can have both of those things. Both of those things did happen. And I think we all know that if the Celtics had played Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals and lost in a very competitive six-game series in which they had outscored Milwaukee like they did Miami in the series, that it would have a different feel to it. But people just felt there was it was an opportunity lost, which it was. Of course, when you play the fifth seed and you have home court advantage in a non-home court situation and you're perceived to be the better team, it was a missed opportunity to get to the finals as every trip to the conference finals in which you don't win is by definition. But I think the one thing that everyone forgot 
is that what I'm saying is the gospel truth. If it had been Milwaukee, people wouldn't have had nearly the same reaction. And yet Miami, who they squeaked by the Celtics, they crushed Milwaukee. That wasn't close. They demolished the Bucks in that series, and Milwaukee was lucky to win the game in that series, that overtime game that, that Chris Middleton won for them. So you, know, you got to look at the the reality was, as Brad Stevens himself said many, many times, that thing was its own season. We tried, and I know I tried, to make it the continuation of that 1920 season, but in it was its own entity. And in that entity, Miami was the second best team, and there's no question about it. They beat the Celtics, you know, in the in the seeding games too, on top of the uh, on top of four out of six. Well, so now obviously we need to look ahead, and this is what the off is going to be, as it always is. When you don't win a championship, it's how do you fix the team? And I don't think this is a team that needs a whole lot of fixing. It's certainly not like when the Isaiah Thomas-led group went to the conference finals, Danny Ainge was still thinking, okay, we know we're not there. We know we're not close enough. We need to blow things up in a matter of speaking if we have those opportunities. It's not going to be that kind of offseason, either in terms of personnel movement or in terms of opportunity, unless somebody shakes loose that nobody is talking or thinking about right now. What you have, basically, the bigger decisions are what happens if Gordon – you know, Gordon Hayward's contract, does he opt in? Does he opt out, try and extend? Does he just, you know, outright leave? These are the options that are on the table for him. Obviously, Danny Ainge could explore trading him. It's one of the things that's out there right now. We've had multiple reports going back the last few weeks that the Pacers are very interested in trading for Gordon Hayward. As we know, Indiana native, started Butler. Maybe it's something in terms of a homecoming that he would actually be open to. I have no idea. Does it make sense, though, when you start to hear about Miles Turner, Victor Oladipo, things like that. In, in terms of making a deal work, is this the type of thing that Danny Ainge would seriously look at and would make sense? Well, Danny Ainge looks at everything. I mean, he always has, and he's certainly not going to be hesitant to pull the trigger on something big if he thinks it's going to improve the Celtics. But people, the, the answer to the question, the number one answer to the question is what's the single biggest area the Celtics can improve in to make the jump, to close the gap or whatever, to, you know, to take what happened this year, this amazing year, and push it even farther? The answer is health. That's the obvious answer. And you know, the fact that Gordon Hayward hasn't had a healthy year. He's been very, you know, this last year, he was really, really good when he was healthy, but he wasn't healthy for a lot of the year. Kemba Walker wasn't completely healthy for a lot of the year. So I think it's the, I get why it's the number one topic and we have a few months to fill, right. Of making these trading, all these draft picks up to move up in the draft and take somebody that we like at number eight or number seven. That's all fun to do. I get it. But this is the danger of being an elite team, right? This is the danger of being the third best team out of 30 is that it's not easy to improve from three, but it's pretty easy to drop back down from three if you make the wrong move and, you know, you make a mistake. Uh, I don't think, to me, it's hard to envision a scenario where Gordon does not opt in unless he wants to do some uh, team-friendly, you know, type deal. I think the amalgam of all the events coming together in the offseason, trying to shuffle these things together in an unusual offseason, where's the draft going to be, where's free agency going to be, things are sort of changing on the fly, you know, as, as everything is like, for example, when we're going to ever have games again, uh, things that change every day is going to make this especially difficult. And to me, even riskier to make major changes when we don't have our footing as to what the salary cap is going to be going forward, how much revenue damage was done and is going to be done to the league here over this, let's call it a two season thing, right? Because obviously last season was affected. Clearly next season is going to be affected in terms of revenue 
how's all that going to shake out, you know, in terms of the cap and what the Celtics will even be able to do. Obviously they're going to have that mid-level exception, but you know, not much else to add to it. Yeah. It's, it's it, go ahead, Adam. No, 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 please. Well, this Gordon Hayward situation is interesting and, and it's funny that, you know, you, you mentioned the, the salary cap, how it's going to change. And um, Ryan Bernardoni did a great thing with John Corrales the other day about, how that 34.2 million number really isn't 34.2 million when you consider the salary caps going down and, you know, Gordon's number is directly related to the BRI and how much the players get accepted. It's a, it's a convoluted process that I don't fully understand. That's why I listen to Ryan and other guys like Ryan and to explain it to me, like I'm five. Cause I don't, I think, I, just, I think we define great differently. If he says yeah. you did a great thing the other day, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's a good point. It's putting enough. a lot on and breaking down the, well, you know, we are in the middle of a, of a pandemic, so for me, it doesn't take much for things to be great. For me to change my understanding of a certain topic would be, in my opinion, uh, somewhat great. But it, it does help because everybody. This is the biggest. This is the the biggest topic that anybody has is what does what does Gordon Hayward do? You know, does he take that you know lock in that extension where he might lose some this year, right? Because he isn't going to get that thirty four point two million, but he gives himself that long term security. You know in your conversations with him and, and Danny and, and Brad, is that something they would look into in your opinion? Would they, would they look into maybe, you know, bringing Gordon Hayward back as a, as a guy past this year? Do you think they're looking that far down the road? Or are they more like a year by year thing with, with Gordon considering his health and in, in his, uh, his history of the, uh, I'm just being snake bitten in, in the past with the Celtics. Well, I, th- I think you have to. And again, it's to go back to the doc rivers, you know, the, what used to be the most famous Doc Rivers quote, it isn't anymore because he has one that will now live for the ages. But right. Doc Rivers quote about uh, the number one, the number one ability in a player is availability, right? And as good as Gordon Hayward has been, you have to ask yourself. There's there's great questions when you look at a player who has been injury prone or whatever you want to say, you know, Romeo Langford or whatever. Is that bad luck or is that a trend? Because we tend to say players that have been hurt always tend to get hurt. That isn't always true. Paul Molitor is a great case of a player who was injured early in his career. People started to write him off as a guy that wasn't going to be a very good player because he's always going to be hurt. And then he was very healthy in the second half of his career and had a, had a Hall of Fame career. So you don't really, you know, you don't really know. I think all things being equal, as anxious, as, as willing as Danny is and as willing to look at anything, I, I think, again, you got to be pretty careful with this group that you have because not only do you have Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker – as all-star veteran players who play at an elite level, you also have the mentality that they both bring, which is they have been the best player on a decent team, bad team, first-round playoff team. They've been that guy, and now they want to win. So you're bringing all-star caliber players, folding them into an environment where if it's Jalen Brown's night or it's Jason Tatum's night, they're fine with that. They are good with that as long as they win. And so I, I bring it up only because we tend to focus on what everybody brings from a basketball standpoint and ignore what makes championship caliber teams and how the pieces fit together. And that in 2019, everybody couldn't the, – the number one sentiment among Celtic fans, you guys know this perfectly well because you talk to them and you deal with them and you read what they have to say and you hear what they have to say is just give me a team I can root for. I hated this team so much yeah. in 2019. Please just give me a team I can root for that's competitive every night. And what did you get? You got a team that took a shot at a franchise record for most consecutive games without a double-digit loss until they lost the 
the last game of the Eastern Conference Finals in that big run, they hadn't lost a game by double figure since Houston game in February. It was like 44 games. They were competitive every night. They played entertaining games. They played hard. And with the icing on the cake, they were significantly better than last year's team on top of it, which was kind of an off-the-radar concept when Kyrie walked and then Al Horford walked. No one was talking about the Celtics going farther than last year. They were talking about can they be more entertaining, let alone win more games, go another round to the playoffs and have a chance, obviously, to get to the NBA Finals and to be the, the Nate Silver pick. At some point in the second round, the Celtics were like the runaway favorite team to win the championship when they were up 2-0 on Toronto for whatever that, you know, obviously whatever that's worth. But that's why I think it was such – an amazing year. And now, well, let's get rid of Gordon Hayward because of this and that. Oh, oh, okay. Well, if you get Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo, that's an interesting thing to discuss, certainly, and how those pieces would fit together. But how Kemba and Gordon Hayward fit with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that is a known commodity right now. And yeah, does Miles Turner give you something that you probably don't have on the roster right now? Sure. But this guy, you got to be very – I tend to always be more conservative and less, well, let's trade these three guys for these four guys. And, you know, anything that by definition is blowing it up, ask yourself what you're blowing up. The third best team in the NBA that is on a upward trajectory, is that, that what you want to blow up? Well, look, we all understand the whole reason it keeps coming back to Gordon Hayward is because he is your only flexibility. Kemba's not getting traded. Tatum's not getting traded. Brown's not getting traded. Smart's not getting traded. The only guy that has any money that you can really move in an effort to bring somebody else in who's impactful is Gordon Hayward. And then obviously people look at the, you know, not just the salary, but the performance, the injuries, everything else and say, okay, it makes sense. Let's go get somebody else. But like you said, the fit with the team, I think if you really watch the games, this is where, you know, people turn to basketball snobs versus the people that are just kind of the hot take artists or casually watch. That's where, you know, those of us, the three of us among so many others say, no, but if you see the fit, if you look at what he does, when he has the ball, when he doesn't have the ball, both, you know, offensively as a playmaker, you know, never mind what volume is, you study efficiency, you look at defensively and, and, you know, what a good two-way player he is and how he impacts winning on that side of the ball and yada, 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 all the stuff we could do. But again, it keeps coming back to, okay, but do you want Gordon? Do you not want Gordon? How do you improve a team that, as you said, was third? How do you make a jump? How do you improve a bench? Where do you get veterans? Where do you get size? Where do you get strength? Where do you angle things out? How do you attempt to improve upon your rebounding, whatever it may be? One of the more Interesting for lack of a better word, because I'm not totally sure interesting fits in this context, but one of the reports that is out there, in addition to everyone's perceived, or at least the Pacers' perceived interest in Gordon Hayward, is Celtics are said to be, and we've heard this before, keeping an eye on what is going on with the Cavaliers' contract talks with Andre Drummond. Now, my first instinct when it comes to Andre Drummond is you run the other way. I want no part of Andre Drummond in Boston, not because I I don't like the guy. He didn't kick my dog. It's just not a good defender, can't shoot, can't stretch the floor, doesn't seem to fit Brad Stevens' system, makes a whole lot of money. Yes, he improves your rebounding. Yes, he can give you some points on the inside. I just don't really like the fit. But, and I'll I'll save this for after what you have to say, um, you know, some, some, I don't know, attempts at compelling – viewpoints looking the other way as to how he does work in is uh, you know could be entertained how do you feel as I ramble on how do you feel about Andre Drummond in the Celtics uniform if getting him probably means giving up Gordon Hayward by the way just in an effort to even make the money work well I don't want to say he's not a good shooter but if you try to kick your dog he might miss <laughs> you know listen 
Andre Drummond is a great rebounder. The Celtics haven't had that. Although the Celtics have been a, a very good rebounding team uh, mm-hmm. over the last few years. Nobody really pays much attention to that because it's not – there's a lot of focus on the center position. And I get it because of what Bam Adebayo did. He was the MVP of the series. I don't think there's yeah. any question about that at, at 6-9. Uh, and it masked unfor- – it was an unfortunate ending. We talked about how the season had an unfortunate ending. It was a very unfortunate ending for Daniel Tice considering the year that he had, which was pretty phenomenal. And speaking of guys that are going to get paid uh, at some point. And again, it's one of those things like, are you upgrading? Is Andre Drummond an upgrade from Daniel Tice? Well, that really depends on how close you watch the NBA now. Because this isn't the NBA of five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Is Andre Drummond going to give you the defense that Daniel Tice gave you this year? And not just against other bigs, right? That's the old school basketball mentality. But now Daniel Tice is, is... Garden point guards in pick and rolls and things like that. Think about what the NBA game is now. That's how you have to situate your roster. And unfortunately, there are players, and Drummond is sort of one of them who, um, like Jaleel Okafor. Man, that dude just came into the league at the wrong time. He came into the league at the wrong time. Mm. This sort of happened, to, you know, Rondo has had this fascinating career arc where the game changed around him and suddenly a guy that couldn't shoot was it was tough to get on the floor. And he found a way, this is what makes you know Rondo special, is that he found a way to sort of stay in the league and work around that. But the game sometimes can change you know, around you. Devin Harris was going to be one of the top point guards in the league when he first came in. He was really, had this great year. I think he made the All-Star team one year with the net. And then the league just sort of changed around him and different guys came in at that position. Andre Drummond now is really more of a – he's a change of pace, like Serge Ibaka – with Toronto, sort of a change of pace role player, except he can't, you know, obviously he's not going to shoot. You have to be able to shoot now. It's just, it's just invaluable with the way the game has played. And that three-point line, by the way, people say, what's coming next? There's going to be an adjustment where, all right, everything's a three-point line now, so eventually it's going to come back. No. You know what's going to happen? Trey Young, Damian Lillard, that's where the game is going. It's like, forget that, five feet behind the three-point line is where the NBA game, that's the next trend. The, the, floor, the, the only way to extend the floor now is that way offensively to make bigs come even farther out to where you can get guys, guys now in high school and college are going to be able to start shooting that shot because they see Trey Young and Damian Lillard do it. And they know that's going to be a part of the, you know, their ticket to get to the NBA. The guys that can make the 30 foot shots are going to be making $10 million a year, whatever the equivalent of that is in five or 10 years. So that's what would make me nervous about Andre Drummond. He could win you some games in the course of an 82 game season. Andre Drummond's going to give you some games, but he's just as likely to be a player that you get into a playoff series and you know what? Like Cantor, Cantor, who had, again, Cantor had a very good year. was very effective in spots, but there were certain times he wasn't going to play in the playoffs because of the matchup you get. And I think Andre Drummond, are going to pay $25, 30000000 million a year for a guy who might not see the floor in a specific playoff series because of the matchup. So a buddy of mine who comes on the show from time to time just to poke in and give us some stats and things like that. Uh, this this isn't a, a stats analysis, but was sending me a slew of texts this morning about this Andre Drummond thing. And I'm going to tell you just some of what he wrote to me, saying that uh, it's not his favorite thing to do with the Hayward contract. Not terrible either. This is obviously trading for Drummond. He's an incredibly flawed player. Still young, has all the skills you'd want from that position. Time Lord's not ready. Tice's a 20-minute-per-game guy. Drummond's best year was when Stan Van Gundy kind of let him play uh, the way Miami used Bam last year. He's got some skills as a passer, a hand-it-off guy. Defense, obviously, is a problem, but maybe Brad can get something out of him. I like the idea of him on an expiring contract. And I think uh, adding on to that as much as anything, 
especially if you were to deal Hayward for him, helps get you under the salary tax. Do you think that is a priority for Wick Grosbeck right now in terms of attempting to build out this team and take it to the next level? I think only in terms of flexibility, not in terms of, you know, of finances or not being willing to pay the tax. I think when you're, when you're at this level now and you're competing for championships, I don't think that, you know, that that's as much of a factor as it would be in, you know, in, in other years. I, I, listen, Drummond is an interesting player. Again, I just go back to what I said about the, can you have a role player? He'd be a very good role player, mm. but the NBA is sort of making him into one right now. And that's the day you have to think what, what Danny did drafting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown or whatever, that was thinking forward. What is the NBA going to be in the next three to five years and not drafting drafting backwards? Mm-hmm. Like you have to evolve so you get players and contracts you can control that fit the game. And now this is a wing game that with defending multiple positions. And who fits that? All things being equal, who fits the NBA game now better, Gordon Hayward or Andre Drummond? I mean, there was a time the answer to that question would have been Andre Drummond, but that time is certainly not not right now. Full agreement on that. I mean, I think you know, there's been a sort of an overcorrection, so to speak, to the Lakers, you know, because the, the Lakers had all this size, right? They have all the size in the world, and they, and they have, you know, they have Anthony Davis, and they have JaVale McGee, and they have Dwight Howard, right? And uh, everybody needs to now think about going through the Lakers and how you're going to match up with that size. And I sit here, I'm saying, all right, you could think that way, right? But the Lakers are going to be different next year, right? They're going to have a different look, not going to be the same team, right? Didn't the Celtics just show you that you can be successful? Didn't Miami also just show you you can be successful not allocating 20 to $30 million to one center position where a guy that can be played off the floor? Like when you're playing crunch time minutes, I don't think Drummond's on the floor. It's going to be sort of like not like not nearly as bad because I think Gobert has a little bit more flexibility as a defensive player. Okay, you're not going to see the people are going to play him off the floor. Bam Adebayo is going to play him off the floor. Teams will find a way to nullify his existence. And if you're going to pay a guy twenty five to thirty million dollars, Sean, I want him to be on the floor at the end of games. That doesn't seem like a tall ask, for, in my opinion. How many? How many of those guys are there? And it seems like the Lakers have all of them. Right. So well, you know what's the <laughs> What's the point? I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you can't say, well, they're big because they have Anthony. Anthony Davis is a mega star, mm-hmm. okay, in this league. Can't look at him and say, okay, you get someone to match up with Anthony Davis because nobody does. And it was the way the Lakers played. But uh, why don't we look at the two Lakers-Celtic games this year? You had one that went down to the wire out in L.A., and then you had the game in Boston in which the Celtics you know, beat the living daylights out of them after the Lakers used their size in the first two minutes take that eight, nothing lead or that six, nothing lead or whatever it was. And you're like, Oh my goodness. And then essentially the Celtics ran them off the floor the, the rest of the night. And that's what a lot of teams would do. And again, I'm not saying here that Miami was going to win the NBA finals, but uh, I'll say this. There's no way if Miami had the same injuries in the conference finals without a bio and Dragic, there's no mm-hmm. way that Miami beats the Celtics in the conference finals with those, those injuries. So it was a foregone conclusion when you took those guys out of the mix that the Lakers were, you know, the Lakers were going to win. A lot of things fell right. Listen, LeBron is LeBron is LeBron. And if you don't understand that, you may not say he's the best player to ever play, but if you don't think he's in that conversation, you are you're blinded by your dislike for him or whatever and not understanding the historical context that this is one of the three or four best players ever to play. Period. But they also had some things break for them, which is Miami beating the Celtics, certainly, the Clippers 
you know, colossally folding the way they did. And they took it. I think that was so frustrating is that there was an opportunity there for the Celtics. That's what drove people crazy. Mm -hmm. And if all the teams in all the world to take advantage of this bubble season opportunity, it was the Lakers that ended up doing it. Before I ask you another question, where are you at for time? Because I don't want to mess you up. For you, I've got another, I got another 15 minutes for you. Oh, you're the best. Well, so then everything that you just said, and you can't predict injuries, obviously. I think Miami, I know Miami would have been more competitive with the Lakers had obviously Dragic and Adebayo not been hampered the way that they were or downright out as they were for multiple games. But had the Celtics beaten Miami, had they survived the heat, had they emerged and faced the Lakers, how do you think that finals would have gone? I would have been pretty fascinating series, right? It's like it's easy to say that because the Lakers beat Miami so easily – that the Lakers would – I think it would have been a great series. Now, by definition, by what you're talking about, the Celtics would have had to win, come from 3-1 down, win a seventh game, and be pretty beat up by the time you get into it. I'll say this we're in that Gordon Hayward conversation we had earlier. If Gordon Hayward doesn't get hurt, the Celtics go to the finals, and here's why. Because the Toronto series is not a seven-game series. If Gordon Hayward is in it, Toronto does not win three games in that series. And the Celtics, by definition, are – not starting behind the eight balls they did against Miami, and I'm sure they don't fall down 3-1 if they hadn't gone seven games with Toronto right before that. So uh, there's a lot of, you know, history. Once you start pulling threads on it, and, you know, as I've done many times, the, the best example of that, once you start pulling threads on history, Celtics draft Robert Swift instead of Al Jefferson, and there's no Kevin Garnett and whatever. So it's a, it's a dangerous rabbit hole to, to climb down. But obviously I think it would have been a very competitive series, and, and to think that even in a pandemic with the entire world turned upside down, the Celtics and Lakers still would have found a way to get to the finals against each other would have been one of the great stories of this uh, fascinating sports world that we're in right now. Yeah. Agreed. I want to mention very quickly, um, football obviously is back and you might not be at a game this year. Many people are an increasing number across the country. You can still be in on the action regardless of bet online NFL futures. You got the chiefs, the defending champs of plus 375 to repeat and win another Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson's Ravens at plus 600. The Seahawks plus 700. Tom Brady's Buccaneers who continue to play well plus 1,000. Packers and Aaron Rodgers as he continues this bleep you tour plus 1200 the Patriots this number gets better every week which may just be an indication that the team is getting worse every week you can look at that however you want but remember they haven't been healthy they haven't been practicing things may change pretty soon plus 4000 odds to win the Super Bowl if you want to lay a little coin on that coming out of the AFC and maybe make some noise bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season from game spreads and totals to of course team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than any other place online you can get in on their season opening bonuses today start off wagering to win uh, division championship futures today as well all available to you, and soon enough it will be for the NBA as well. So head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses available to you. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So as we are here with the uh, Celtics radio voice, Sean Grandy, I want to also get into this a little bit. I'm sure you've at least uh, thought about it. Maybe you're looking forward to checking it out yourself, but you've certainly seen the news. 
for anyone that doesn't know, because you have, as we joke, been in Boston so long before Boston, Minnesota. And of course you were calling Timberwolves games back when Kevin Garnett was there the first time. And long before he was in Boston, KG announced on uh, Twitter just the other day that he is coming out with a book, KG A to Z, which is described by him as an uncensored encyclopedia of my life, basketball, and everything in between. I think my first and most basic question to you is, is this going to be the best book ever written? Well, I would suggest by, I would start by saying that Kevin Garnett uncensored is redundant. Um, <laughs> in and of itself, I, I'd never, as I told him, I, I saw him at the, uh, uh, the night before the Kobe thing, obviously KG was at the uh, was at the game. I told him, and we talked for a little bit, and I talked about his his number of retirement in Boston, which I think you know we've we've discussed that yeah. concept before. That I still I just can't fathom that there are people that don't think that his number should go up. That 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 boggles my mind. But I I complimented him on his performance in the Adam Sandler movie because I said that that must have been incredible. Said I'd never heard him speak as many sentences without swearing. <laughs> So I was like, that was that was an extraordinary act. He was he was good. He was good in Uncut Gems. I loved it. I loved it. Um, I am yeah. I'm certainly excited to read. You never know with these books, right? Like you never know what who gets in the middle of it and how they're organized and how they're structured. So you don't want to build up expectations. But he was. You know, I think he was my favorite player before I went in the league, and then I got to spend three years with him in Minnesota, and obviously six years um, with him here. At, remarkable times in his career uh, there is no one there is no one like him personally and I think professionally he's he's sort of destined to as while everyone knows what a great player he is and a hall of fame player I don't think his true greatness and his his rank all time it, people truly appreciate where he fits among the best of the best to ever play and I've said this many times I don't think if you're making the top 12 right you're making a team give me the 12 guys that are the best NBA players ever. KG's probably not on that team, but he's getting a long look at one of those, at one of those last spots. And by definition, because he was probably the greatest role player ever to play, he almost belongs on that, you know, on that team. Well, hell, didn't Max say he was the greatest Celtic of all time? Yeah, and he, you know, that's one of those things like that. That's in the argument of where do you put the Dominic? Where's Dominique on that list, right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. One year here, and he was one of the greatest players ever. And how do you, how do you mix all that together? But you know, Kevin Garnett again. It's the it's the number retirement argument, which I simply you, you guys know me well enough to know I will discuss anything. I'm fascinated in people's opinions, and there's always layers to everything. That's one conversation. I'm not, I I'm not interested in hearing anybody that thinks that yeah he shouldn't have his number up here because he only played six. You know, there's no discussion to have. If Kevin Garnett's number doesn't belong in the Raptors, there's about eight of them, including my partners that need to come down. No, he transformed the organization and was the true, you know, all due respect, obviously to Paul Pierce and the captain, but I mean, Kevin Garnett was the leader of that team and everybody knows it. And I think Paul would acknowledge that, but do you think there, I, I guess on that end and, and look, we don't know, we're all just speculating. Do you think this book will release anything new about his time with the Celtics, the, you know, the, the Ray Allen rift, things like that, because it, it, he is, like you said, Kevin Garnett uncensored, kind of redundant. Like he, he speaks his mind. It's, it's all pretty well out there as it is. Is there anything that's going to come out of this book that maybe we don't know? Well, it depends on what he talks about. And I think we know largely how he feels about the Ray Allen. I think there's, I think almost every time Kevin Garnett talks, there's something new that sort of does come out. So I think there'll be a lot of things about the, you know, the, difficulties with Rondo 
uh, you know, in those years. And I think, you know, the, the Ray Allen thing is going to get until the 018 comes back together. The Ray Allen thing is going to live forever until Ray Allen decides it's over and there's going to be some sort of reunion or some sort of, you know, I, as we've discussed, he's, he had a golden opportunity on Paul Pierce weekend. Mm-hmm. And that was the perfect time for him to kind of come back in the fold. But these are great players have one thing in common. Ego. They are stubborn as hell. Yep. Okay. That's what makes them great players because yep. they refuse to lose. Okay. And Ray Allen believes that he didn't do that. What he did was the right path or whatever. He believes that Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett, like that, that they sort of turned their back on him, that he had the right to leave, whatever it was. And Kevin Garnett believes, you know, what he believes. So that's going to take a very strong guy. Like you're talking about Doc Rivers, one of the great peacemakers of all time. And he hasn't been able to make that thing work yet. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, as you know, we passed uh, a couple of years ago, we passed the 10th anniversary. I'll tell you guys this, there were plans in place. There were reunion plans and dinner stuff, but wasn't going to happen because they, these guys aren't ready yet to, to put that behind him. And you see all the, all the big babies and the Tony Allens and the, you know, whatever, who are all, they're all into it. Right. But it's not going to happen until, until those guys decide that it is, it is behind them. And you just have to understand the Kevin Garnett mentality of team, that that was the ultimate betrayal to leave and go for a Well, you know, I've had this conversation now. It was always fascinating to me that like Al did the exact same thing. Al left and went to the rival and the team that was sort of favored to win this year in Philadelphia. And everybody cheered Al when he came back, whereas Ray got hypocrites. This is the power of Kevin Garnett, right? When yeah. Ray came back, he got killed that day. Yeah. He got – I mean, he was booed out of the building that day, and that was fans taking their cue from, from Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and, and whatever. Look, I, I mean, we won't go into it because we have. I've said this to you 50 times before, both of you, that, I mean, the way Doc left was so much worse than the way Ray Allen left, and he gets resoundingly cheered every time he comes back too. So, yeah, I mean, people are – are it's, it's sort of – I love Celtics fans. I am a Celtics fan, but it's sort of – amazing the level of hypocrisy that exists in the way that we conduct ourselves in so many different ways. But that's, that's the fun of being a fan, right? I yeah. Mean, Short get, for fanatic, right? Yeah. And again, it wasn't the, like losing, it was disappointing. It was disappointing to lose the Miami in the Eastern conference finals. I just thought some of the extreme stuff really got, there wasn't enough appreciation at a time in all of our lives where I think we need to be a little more appreciative of everything. And I tried many times during the playoff run in the middle of a great sequence to try and step out of it to say, by the way, this is a miracle what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. In early July, we were saying, well, what's going to happen when LeBron tests positive and he has to sit out or somebody has a fe- Jason Tatum has a fever, so they won't let him play. The, the idea that the NBA could play a three-game preseason – eight seeding games to finish the regular season and a full two month playoff without a single positive test was not even in any of our minds to have a discussion about because it was not possible. And yet it happened that it happened in the NHL and it happened, you know, so I think maybe I was more sensitive to people not appreciating the season that the Celtics had, because it was just almost comical to me how some people were just losing their minds about it when we had this amazing thing happen in front of us this these games were conjured out of nothing and actually took place to the point where it was almost fun that people were losing their minds about it because it, it meant look at what we've done that we've created this environment again that people have something to lose their minds about 
It was great. We want to keep you, uh, don't want to keep you, pardon me, longer than, uh, than you've got. So we appreciate you being here with us uh, always. Good friend of the show, obviously, but we always appreciate, uh, you know, trips down memory lane and, uh, you know, stories and insights and everything else. So I'm, I know we'll have you back before the season rolls around whenever exactly that is. Do you have any insight before you go on that, by the way, or are you just following the reports like us? Well, I, I think there's always times, there are times, uh, I'll, I'll tell you guys this. There are times you may ask me a question like that about some inside Celtics thing that I may actually really have some insight that I can't share for whatever reason, because there's things I know, but I can assure you when it comes to the coronavirus and <laughs> testing and the science and whatever, none of us have any earthly idea. I think clearly the December thing was never going to happen. Christmas didn't make sense in the environment that we're in anyway. Um, I will tell you that the strong sentiment is, Owners, players, everybody, we all would like to get fans back in the building somehow, some way. And obviously, just with some hybrid combination of vaccine, testing, uh, you know, health checks, things like that, that other sports have done, that certainly is the goal. And with that in mind, you obviously want to start as late as you possibly can. And given the fact that, uh, you know, as I said, this, it's, it's sort of gained traction, but I really felt as early as August that if you're going to have a holiday, that belongs to the NBA. It's not Christmas. It's Martin Luther King Day. So that, to me, seems like the best target for opening day that that checks the most boxes for where we are right now. I'll tell you, though, absent fans, absent media, you know, people like yourself comfortably being in the building and just all of this that we're going through not being a thing, I love the bubble. I thought the bubble was the, the, the purest basketball playoffs maybe we've ever seen. I would do it like that every single year if not for the fact that, people couldn't be there witnessing it. It was unbelievable. Well, the, the qual- I think what we learned is we spend all this time saying, well, this guy can't play tomorrow because he played 34 minutes instead of 33, which I never compl- – I, I would I lose my mind at that nonsense. <laughs> it's like pitch counts. Well, he threw 90 pitches. If he throws 91, his arm's going to fall off. Like yeah. uh, that stuff drives me insane. I think we're learning a lot about travel as it breaks us all down, especially the people that have to play. The fact that the level, the quality of the play was so high – and the fact that nobody had to travel was not a coincidence. Sean, we'll let you jump out. We're going to keep yapping here for a few more minutes, but uh, always appreciate the time, sir. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Sean Grandy, voice of the Celtics on the radio. Of course, you can hear him across the Celtics radio network. Always a pleasure having him with us. Uh, Any uh, major takeaways there other than uh, I, I don't think, not that he came out and outright said it. I don't think any of us want Andre Drummond on the Celtics. Yeah, well, you know, I, I... My my second point with Andre Drummond is, okay, so you bring Drummond in, okay? What problem have you now created for yourself now that Gordon Hayward is the one that's out of the building? Because, again, I think the, the assumption is Gordon goes out, Drummond comes in. Well, now one of my biggest pet peeves with Boston this year, and I'll, and I'll fully admit, and we'll do this, Brad Wanamaker ended up being a solid player by the end of the year and, and, sure. and in this shutdown. I thought he was terrific during the bubble. I really do. I was very impressed. <laughs> Although, uh, you know, I cursed his name throughout the, the, the 19, 20 season, but in the bubble, he was tremendous. So I will give him that. But Boston desperately needs a backup ball handler to both Kemba Walker and Marcus Smart. And Gordon Hayward gives you that, right? He gives you floor spacing, which is more valuable than anything right now in the NBA, giving, you know, given the fact that Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown are on the emergence, right? You want to give them as much floor space to operate as possible. And the, you know, the, the ability to kick it out to an open shooter is always very nice. And Gordon Hayward helps with that geometry. I just don't understand how getting Gordon out and bringing Drummond in 
doesn't create a whole new set of problems. Also, so you're going to bring in Drummond to take away minutes from Robert Williams. What's the point of that, right? Don't you want to see what Rob's all about? Like we've seen some progression through the months and through the two years he's been on the team. And it's, you know, it's captivating. It's enticing, right? There are moments where I want to yell, you know, at Rob through my television about, you know, jumping up when Serge Ibaka fakes from the three-point line. But there are other things that he does when he gets his head above the cylinder and you're like, wow, that's really awesome. Uh, you want to see more of that. So I wouldn't want to detour the the track that Robert Williams is currently on. I think it's a bad idea. I understand that the Celtics – need to find a way to bring some sort of vet in. But Andre Drummond's not the type of vet you want to bring in. You want to bring a vet with, like, playoff winning experience. An Andre Godala type is a good idea. Somebody like that who's been through the playoffs, been through some stuff, has some success, and ultimately achieve what they want to achieve. Somebody that will help you get there and understands what it takes. Andre Drummond, and again, as talented as he is, he's athletic as hell. He's an NBA player. He's one of the top 1% of athletes in the world. But he doesn't give you that. He doesn't give you the championship pedigree you're looking for. That's what Rondo gave, you know, that, that, that the Lakers a little bit. Of course, that having LeBron also helps. But, he, you know, having a Rondo type helps that. Having an Iguodala type for the young Miami Heat helps that particular regard. Andre doesn't do that. He creates a whole other set of issues for you. So unless you're, you're like, oh, yeah, we'll trade, you know, Gordon Hayward. We'll get Drummond in. And then you got a backup point guard ready to go. You need another wing shooter because, again, shooting is really important. It just causes a whole mess of other problems. And I don't I, – I, again, Drummond in certain situations is great. No, this is not. And he doesn't really solve a huge problem that they have. Like we've talked about other guys who can fill that role. Drummond's not the guy that you want. It's just not. If you're going to go out and trade Hayward, I would – prefer the Indiana destination because the pieces there are way more tantalizing mm-hmm. than Andre Drummond. Well, I mean, what you're driving at, and I, if, it, if anyone's, you know, watching this uh, video and not just, uh, you know, listening, obviously, to the audio, the reason I started to smirk when you were talking about Hayward in the way that you were was because I can just hear Celtics fans out there, a segment of them saying, oh, cool, 30 plus million dollars a year for a backup ball handler, money well spent. Good job, Danny. But the uh, you'd be missing my my face currently if you're only yeah. just listening to this. Yeah, exactly. But the you know I I think your point, and we've obviously gotten into this in in recent shows, be it with Ian Thompson, with mm-hmm. uh, with Bob Ryan, with others, is and and not so much with Sean today, although we kind of grazed the surface of it. The this team is so close. This team is not light years behind the Lakers, the Heat, the you know the the Bucks, the Clippers, you know, any other really supremely talented team or favorites that you look at going into next year. What this team is not missing is that Drummond type. And I don't even talk about a Drummond specifically, you know, to the man. I, I mean, in terms of, you know, the, the contract, the role, the, you know, starter, you need to insert somebody new into your starting fight. Like you need an Anthony Davis, like who wouldn't want an Anthony Davis? I get that. But what this team does need is to improve its leadership, its veteran presence, its depth overall, its shooting off the bench. It's the bench. You know, you talk about Rondo, you talk about Iguodala, and those two guys specifically maybe don't bring exactly what I'm talking about in uh, certainly neither one of them is a shooter. But you talk about what they can do in terms of leadership and, hey, you've been there and they're reliable. And when your bench shortens in the playoffs, you know, when you're getting to the nitty gritty to, you know, eight, maybe nine guys, guys that conceivably 
reliably can be part of that group if everybody's healthy. This team, when everybody's healthy, which, as Sean noted, very rarely happened throughout last year, including in the playoffs, obviously, when Hayward went down again, and even when he came back, he wasn't himself. And Kemba, what we don't any of us talk enough about is how deeply concerned we should all be about that knee going forward and that like it makes more sense to trade Kemba Walker than it does Gordon Hayward just out of pure fear for what that knee is going to be in the next few years but that's another yeah. conversation entirely you need guys that are gonna like who slots in after Marcus Smart reliably that guy isn't here yet as far right. as I look at it like he's not on the roster you don't have a seven eight nine guy in a crunch time playoff moment or playoff series, the way that the heat were dropping their roster down to, you know, seven, eight guys against the Lakers as that series moved along Boston as it's currently constituted, isn't built to do that, which is why Danny Ainge said what he said, which is, you know, we learn we're not good enough. Like we need to improve the bench. I just don't know specifically where you go out and get those guys and how you bring them in in the first place. If, there are other more attractive title contenders where you can get the same dollars or mid-level exceptions or whatever it is that you're getting. Well, that's, well, the number one team that's going to be, there's two teams that are the forefront of that category, or maybe even three of ahead of the Celtics, right? Because guys that are going to take a lot of money, they're going ring chasing. They're not picking the Celtics first. No Lakers, Clippers, Golden State, those mm-hmm. teams, you know, all have guys on those champion those 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 teams all have rings. Steph and Clay, Draymond, there's one. You have LeBron and Anthony Davis, there's two. Kawhi, obviously the Clippers, there's three different that's the one that they have over you. They all have guys that have won a ring before and they know what it takes, quote unquote, right? Boston doesn't have that. So Boston needs to sell certain guys on his role. You know, you're not gonna get the same money, you're not gonna have the you know do we have a championship caliber team? We think you're the piece, but you're going to be able to have an expanded role on this team, which might parlay you into another contract. Like that's the one thing that Boston might be able to do that other teams might not be able to do as, as easily. Cause like, you know, you look at the Warriors, Steph, Clay, Draymond, like that's where your focal point's going to be. Same with the Clay. And with, the, with Boston, obviously it's going to be, you know, very Jay related, whether it's Jason or Jalen. And then after that, you know, Gordon, but it's, it's going to be hard. And, and Danny, tried last year with the let's have all young guys do it the one thing i think we're not really thinking of you and i've talked about a little bit is those guys you know having some experience how the next year might be a little bit different and 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 it could be bad right having young guys in your bench again might be a really bad idea and i don't think that's that's necessarily the plan right but you know would it shock me if Grant Williams becomes a bigger contributor next year? No. No. And is that a good thing? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. I think Grant has shown you at least a little bit of something where you're like, yeah, that guy might be carving himself out a role next year as we get towards, you know, the next set of playoffs. But they do need – they they desperately need some sort of veteran leader that can show them a few things. Like, remember the Gerald Green thing? Like, Gerald Green was on the team, mm-hmm. and he wasn't necessarily the guy that – you know, I, although he did save the Bulls series, I don't know if you remember, remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He yeah, was say that. And they brought they brought children off the bench. All of a sudden, bang, we're all set. But ha- but if you go back and read the quotes from that season, and you t- you listen to what some of the young guys had to say about what Gerald Green gave them, you know, he was a professional. Had been through a lot of stuff. You know, in and out of the league throughout his career, found his way back, and like certain guys can learn a lot from, you know, not everybody's going to be a Jason Tatum. And the guys know that. Like, Grant Williams knows. Like, like look, man, I'm not going to be – that's not me. 
But having a guy, a role player that can sit you down and say, hey, look, man, you're going to get more playing time on this team if you do this, 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 and this. And hearing from a coach is one thing. And hearing from your GM. But hearing from a, a, a guy that's been through it and done that, it, it, it resounds a little bit. It, it just it, it affects you differently. So finding that guy, I think, obviously is important for Ainge. Upgrading that bench. You know, it, we've heard Danny talk about it, about how this draft they might target more for need than they ever have before. Right, and we'll get into more about who that guy might be later down the road when we get some guys that know more about the draft than we do because it's not a whole lot. Um, but you know, finding the perfect glue guy, right, in the draft, like the Tyler Hero thing we talked about a million times. But like, yeah. how much different does Boston look oh, yeah. with Tyler Hero instead of Romeo Langford? And I like Romeo. Don't get me wrong; I love the guy. I think he's got a lot of potential. But how much finding that guy in the draft? How valuable that is. And you're not going to find yeah, Tyler Hero. I was just going to say, like, there, there isn't – we did this with Himmelsbach. Like, there – I mean, Tatum could be one of the best players in the NBA, something he already is. Right. Jalen Brown should or could be a perennial all-star. So I am not discounting that Danny Ainge hit with those high lottery picks as he had to. I mean, he had to hit. Yeah. And he did. And, uh, and Marcus Smart is way better than I think he gets credit for. Marcus Smart is not a star, per se. He probably never will be. But obviously, he is so incredibly important. He is one of the top defensive players in the entire league. So even if that's a niche, you want to look at, like, a Draymond Green, even though he's like he's better than Marcus Smart. But he has a certain niche to his game. The Celtics don't currently, unless Langford's this guy and I'm not a believer, or unless Robert Williams this guy is this guy, and I am a believer, but he stays healthy, you know, you need that to happen. Obviously, the role needs to, you know, be more secure and all that stuff. But this team, after Tatum and Brown, like, there isn't a guy on the roster currently that you look at and say, like, this guy could become a star. Like, this guy in, in, the, in the right fit and emergence and growth and time, he could be a star. Like, Grant Williams is going to be in the NBA for – 15 or 20 years <laughs> and he's going to be a very solid role player but he's never going to be an all-star he's not a star he's intellectual he's i mean he is he's gonna he's gonna win a championship somewhere maybe not in boston that guy's gonna have a ring someday because he he's a i really think he's going to be a vital member to multiple teams over the course of his career but he's not going to be a star you bring up like tyler hero could very well be a star if people don't view him that way already you know, hell, like, I mean, they don't have a Duncan Robinson. Like, they just, they need to find a way, you know, with these four draft picks they've got coming up. Now, maybe you do package up and and you move up to seven or eight or whatever it is. It, whatever the case, like, you need to bring in a guy, presuming they use any or all of those picks, you need to find a way to bring in a guy. And obviously, it's not this easy. I get it, or everybody would do it but you need a guy who's going to morph into something more than just a guy that's around for a few years and then goes off to be a journeyman somewhere else. Right. And that is more or less what the track record has been in recent years. Right. The, the Shemi Ojale's as much as you want to hold out hope, it's probably, you know, that ship's probably sailed. Um, James Young. I mean, the guys that they've taken, you know, these mid where they are right now, right. It's, they're, they're at 14 unless they decide to move up. But the, the, the thing about this draft is, you know, nobody – there's no consensus anywhere. I mean, like, yeah, LaMelo and, and James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards are your top three consensus. And even at that, like, I – you know. But you history's can, shown, like, you don't need a top three guy. No. Yeah, I mean, you don't. You, you can, don't. You can, Kawhi was what? Like you identify 15? them properly, you can yeah. find hits throughout the draft. 
and it's not easy. I'm not making no. light of how difficult it is, but somehow, some way, it needs to happen in these next couple of drafts because at a certain point in time, and we're nowhere close, but at a certain point in time, you're either going to lose Brown and or Tatum, or they're just going to reach a point where they need guys coming up behind them. They don't yet. It would be great. And then you would be, you know, heading in the direction of being like the Warriors. Of course, it's easy to say that because the Thunder had all those guys and never materialized. Durant and, and Harden and Westbrook all young at the same time, and they were never able to find a way. So, you know, there's no, there's no definitive rule book that gets this done, but you hope. I mean, the Spurs obviously did it. I mean, the Spurs are as close to a, to a dynasty that the NBA has ever, you know, not ever, but has seen in the last 30 years in terms of sustained excellence over a 15, 20 year period of time. Like even the bulls didn't do that, you know, with Jordan and, and obviously LeBron hasn't stayed in one place long enough to achieve that. And, you know, you can put in the warriors, but really, I mean, they're, they're not even at a decade. They're, you know, a handful of years, which is nothing to sneeze at, but in order to become the Spurs, which, there's a reason it doesn't happen all the time, but draft and you got, development. You got to hit on a Tony Parker. You got to hit on a Manu Ginobili. I mean, you got to hit, yeah. and you got to, and you know, Manu's what a second round pick. That's a big hit. You know, Draymond's a second round pick. That's a big Parker hit. Was the end of round one, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. So it, it's there, and there are guys, and we don't know who they are yet. I mean, I've, I've, you know, fallen in love with Desmond Bain a little bit, probably too much. Uh, as a, a three-point shooter, three and D guy. I mean, we've all talked about you know Devin Vassell as maybe the the guy that Boston can truly. But you know the the process has has just started for these. I mean, they've been doing research throughout the pandemic, I'm sure, on some of these draft picks. But you know, look, the pressure's on. Definitely, the pressure's on Danny right now, and it and it and it feels like the draft is the easiest way to – not the easiest way, but maybe the quickest way to solve these problems because, because of how capped out that Boston is and how they make increments on the margins via contracts is going to be very difficult. Like, you know, they have other teams in front of them vying for those veteran guys who will take the MLE deal, right? They're just – they're not the top of the pecking order. They're not. They're going to be, you know, near the top, you know, but there are, you know, the three teams out west, you're probably going to add a Miami in there. You're going to probably add a – because Milwaukee's going to be desperate, you know, Milwaukee's going to probably try and get some guys and make some moves and make some things happen to try and satisfy Giannis and try and keep him there. So again, I don't think, I think Boston free agent wise is going to be in a tough spot, but where you can kind of control your own destiny, so to speak is the draft. And Danny has done a good job finding guys in that range in the past, not the best job, but he's done a good job. Um, and it's going to be on him and his scouting department to figure that out. Now, you know, they could, and, and I'll, I'll throw this, this question because it came up on Simmons's podcast. Would you trade smart for number two to make sure you get a guy that could really, you know, you could swing for the fences for? Cause I would not trade Marcus Smart for the second pick if I were Danny. If, if, if Golden State calls in the phone and says, Hey, you know, what do you think about smart for number two? I'd tell him no, because smart at the end of games is going to play. Mm-hmm. And the guy that I pick at two is not right now. And right. we don't know if he ever will. We have no clue, but I know Marcus Smart right now can do it. And I think people have such a negative view of Marcus with the way it ended with him shooting a bunch of shots. It's like, yeah, yeah because he's just trying to do what he can to win games. I don't have any problem with that. I've never had a pro- – Marcus shooting a lot has always bothered people and hasn't bothered me because in the beginning it was like he needs to shoot because he needs to get better at shooting. And now it's like, well, now – He's recognizing that nobody else has it, and he's like, screw it. Like, give me the ball. I'll at least go down swinging here. So I appreciate right. that. But the whole the, 
you know, who they – if they trade up to get somebody, they, they have to identify the someone in this draft that helps them right away because they've they've missed on Carson Edwards, and we'll see if Carson develops anything to turn him into a guy. I don't – I mean, at this point, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I think – and as much as I love watching, you know, uh, it, smaller guys because I'm a smaller guy get in there and do things, like I'm not sure if Trey Waters is going to be – the next, I mean, I love him to death. He's got a great. Listen to the guys that you're throwing out. Yeah, like, that's the point. That's the point. You're looking at you know, like, waters. Yeah. Like these guys aren't supposed to turn into stars. Right. The question right. is, you know, how do you nail a guy that does? You know, that's that's obviously the. It's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. Yeah. But this draft might allow you because there's so much. Uh, there's so many questions about who's who and who's what. You might be actually able to find a guy because somebody else missed. Like everybody, you know, not everybody, but teams missed on Tyler Hero, folks. People missed on Devin Booker, okay? Yeah. Devin Booker shouldn't have gone where he went. Then you look at some of the Kentucky guys, you're like, yeah, maybe, you know, Tyrese Maxey's that guy. Maybe that's the guy that comes off you know, your bench and, and gives you a real spark because he didn't get to do that consistently. consistently. Or go look at the Duke team. The Duke teams always have all these five-star, you know, one-and-done guys now, and they don't all get an opportunity to show what they can do. Maybe it's Cassius, you know, uh, it's Cassius Stanley, right? The guy from – because Cassius Winston's the one from Michigan State. I guess mm-hmm. Cassius Stanley won from Duke. Maybe that's the guy. I know Tom Westrom, big fan. Um, there'll be some – there's going to be some way, and it's and it's a lot of pressure on Danny, of course, to do this. Um, but to, to, the overall point is the Celtics aren't that far away. They are going to get some improvements from Jason and Jalen probably during the offseason. You're going to get better via being healthier, okay? And they're, you know, a, a roster spot away from maybe being a real contender here, and we'll see how it goes. Well, as I remind everyone, this show is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today for your free sign-up bonus. I also remind you that if you've listened to this show long enough or, you know, when I was doing the Sports Hub show as well, like there there are enough people out there that may remember, and maybe you were one of them, whoever you are, you know, be thankful that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are here because it could have just as easily been, you know, Markel Fultz and Dragon Bender. <laughs> Could have been Lonzo Ball uh, gone. Could be Brandon Ingram gone. At least they're still on the team. Markel Fultz gone. Josh Jackson, thanks for doing us a favor. Yeah, thanks, McDonough. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Like could could have been Chris Dunn. Like there, I mean, there. You know, so Ainge hit on on picks he had to absolutely hit on. These are these are now the crapshoot picks in in terms of where they're positioned to draft right now. Those are the picks you got to nail. These are the ones that dynasties, you know, can, can be formed around quite frankly in, in so many different ways, but we've gone over an hour. So we're going to get out of here. We thank Sean Grandy, obviously for having been with us. Uh, Evan Valenti. I'm Adam Kaufman. All of you out there. Thank you for uh, listening, watching, subscribing, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. I haven't mentioned this. I don't even think during the pandemic, but you know, leave a, a review on iTunes, leave, leave a rating. We appreciate that stuff. If Be not, creative read. Yeah. Honestly, enter, entertain us. I mean, don't just say like, Oh, this show rocks or this show sucks. Like, you know, inspire us, leave, leave a little, leave us notes on how to improve. We don't care. It's uh it's fun for us to read. We'll be back with you. We appreciate everyone's flexibility. I know in recent weeks, we've been here on a Tuesday. Today is Thursday, depending on when you're listening. If you listen this evening, otherwise suddenly you blink and it's Friday. Either way, it's the off season and that doesn't change for months. So we're going to be here with you monitoring everything, whether it's Gordon Hayward to the Pacers, Andre Drummond to the Celtics, three first round picks packaged up to 
number seven or whatever the hell else may happen along the way, this is your go-to spot to hear all about it with some of the best experts, analysts, and uh, voices out there in the NBA community, particularly those covering the Celtics around. Maybe we'll get Kendrick Perkins back on in a future uh, show as well because it's been a little while since uh, we've heard from Perk. But in the meantime, again, for uh, for Grandy, for Evan, I'm Adam. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you again soon.